Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. People will do almost anything to avoid death. Right now, people are socially distancing and wearing masks to avoid possible death from a virus. But people have done things far crazier than that. In 1993, Bill Jiraki was fishing in St. Mary's Glacier. A rock moved and pinned his, his leg under a boulder. After a while, he realized he was all alone in the wilderness and in a desperate attempt to save himself because he didn't have a jacket or any kind of communication equipment. He actually used his shirt as a tourniquet and his fishing knife to hack off his leg. Then he crab walked to his vehicle and drove himself to the hospital, all in order to survive. Something similar happened in 2003 by, with a man named Aaron Ralston. He was hiking uh, between some rock walls in, in Utah and a boulder that was suspended between those walls spun and it actually pinched his left arm between the rock wall and this massive boulder. He was there for, for six days when he knew he was sort of on the edge of life and death, using a, a pocket knife, he actually hacked his own arm off. Then he rappelled down a 60-foot cliff and hiked eight miles till there was a family that found him and was able to call in helicopter rescue. And I say these things simply to tell you, people will do amazing things to avoid death. Because there's an innate desire inside of each one of us to hold on to life because we have incredible fear of death. But I have to tell you that no matter how much we try to avoid death, no matter how radical we get, no matter how many precautions we take, it could be taking vitamins, eating organic, or going to the YMCA, unless Christ returns, Death will eventually get each one of us. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. Now, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow peer behind death's door and find out what was on the other side? And if we knew what was on the other side was actually a, a good thing, something we didn't need to fear, wouldn't that take away our incredible fear of death? And if we knew it was on the other side of death, wouldn't that not just change our fear of death, but wouldn't it change the way we actually live our life today? That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take some time to actually peer behind death's door for the Christian. Find out what lies on the other side for you and me. And when we see what's on the other side, it'll change our fear of death. It'll completely change the way we live our life. If you're someone who's new, I'd like to welcome you and thank you for joining us online here at Crosswinds. My name is Kurt and I'm one of the, the pastors here and we are studying the book of Philippians as a church. In the book of Philippians is a, an incredible constant theme, a theme of joy. Joy in the midst of trials, joy in the midst of difficulties. And Paul simply embodies that theme because he is going through a fair amount of trials. He is going through a whole bunch of difficulties. 
Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from a Roman jail when he is chained to a Roman soldier. He's been in that jail for four, almost five years eventually. And he is away from his friends. He's lonely. He's tired. He has all kinds of reasons to be depressed about life. But yet Paul is filled with joy in life. And joy for Paul comes from that the one thing that's really important about life, the one thing that really matters, which is Jesus Christ and the progress of the gospel, for those things, it is actually going well. We remember that in uh, last week we saw how Paul's joy was taking place. He's chained to Roman soldiers and he's chained to members of the Praetorian Guard, a very elite Roman soldier group. The idea was that way there's no way for Paul to escape. But Paul looks at it this way. There's actually no way for them to escape. Typically, there would be four different soldiers a day uh, running in six-hour shifts. And Paul looks this, at that as an opportunity for him to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them to be able to share the gospel with them and to be able to tell them about the incredible hope he has in Jesus Christ. And one by one, over a period of time, these elite Praetorian Guard are becoming Christians. I mean, these guys are serious stuff. These are the personal bodyguards of Julius or Caesar himself. They're high-ranking officials. And the gospel is spreading inside of Roman leadership. And for that, Paul is filled with joy in spite of his circumstances. Paul was also filled with joy because the gospel was not just spreading in the prison at Rome, but the gospel was spreading outside of the prison in Rome. As Christians in Rome saw the incredible success that Paul was having as he shared his faith with these hardcore Roman soldiers, they were encouraged to have more boldness to share their faith outside of prison. And the gospel was spreading there as well. So Paul was filled with joy. He's saying this, this whole jail thing really isn't turning out to be such a bad thing after all. Because though my life is incredibly hard, the one thing that really matters is taking place. The gospel is making progress. Today, as we continue in our study of this book of Philippians, we find that Paul is going to move from joy that he has in his present circumstances to joy that he looks forward to having in his future circumstances which he's talking about here is the outcome of his trial. It is still unknown to Paul whether he will end up living and being released from jail or dying and being executed in jail. And Paul says, either way it goes, whether I live or whether I die, I still can have joy because the one thing that matters is the gospel and the gospel will make progress either way. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, take them out and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 26. And I'll start actually in the second half of verse 18 as we begin. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. 
For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That ends the reading of God's words. Now Paul, what he's doing here is he's having a chance to peer into the future, to look into the future and his possible release from prison or his possible execution while in prison. And he tells the Philippians that either way it goes, he's actually content because if he's released from prison, it's an opportunity for him to be able to share the gospel with more people. So the gospel can make progress in more people's faith. But if he's executed while he's in prison, it's also okay because he will die and be with Christ, which is what his hope is all along. So Paul is in a win-win situation. Live or die, it'll all be okay. He'll be with Jesus. Now, for us, there's some application here for as Christians. Folks, we need to remember that we do not need to fear death. Death for us means being with Jesus. Living means bearing fruit and helping others have more joy in Jesus. This is, totally changes the way we look at the death of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we grieve when they die? Oh, yes, we do grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. Paul writes about this in the letter to the Thessalonians. He says, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The grieving in the face of death for Christians is not for those who have died. Folks, it is for those who have left behind or are left behind. We grieve for the spouse that is left behind, the children that are left behind, the brothers or the sisters and the family that is left behind. We grieve for their loss of their loved one, but we do not grieve for the one who has died because the one who has died has gone home to be with Jesus. And death, as we'll see more of this morning, is far better for a Christian than life can ever be. And that's why we don't grieve without hope. Let's begin by looking at the text. I'm gonna actually begin on verse 18, which will sort of lead us into the text, and we'll see an important transition. Paul says, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ 
is proclaimed, and for that I rejoice. And then he begins, yes, and I will rejoice. And I simply point this out to have you see the, this change in tenses. Sort of in the middle there, he says, yes, I rejoice right now while in prison because the Roman guards are actually coming to Christ and we're seeing the gospel spread. But then he says, when he looks into the future, I will rejoice no matter what happens, whether I face life or whether I face death, I will still have joy. Let's dive into the text itself and we'll see how he has this. The first section, he talks about this. Jesus rescues us from trials and death. And the first point he makes is this. Paul knew his sufferings were just temporary. They were temporary. Philippians 1.19 For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Let's begin at the beginning. He says, for I know. The Greek word for know here, it means literally certain knowledge, definite knowledge, confident knowledge. I'm 100% sure of this. And what is he 100% sure of? We go to the end of this verse and he gives us the answer. That this will turn out for my deliverance. All this suffering that I'm going through is eventually, he says, going to stop. I'm going to be delivered from it. But some of you have translations that read a little different. Your translation says, I know this will turn out for my salvation. Then you start to wonder. At first, when Paul says this will turn out for my deliverance, doesn't that sound like he's talking about release from jail? But if he, other translations say this will turn out for my salvation, doesn't that sound like he is going to be executed and go home to be with Christ while in jail? Which way is it? Which kind of deliverance is he talking about? It's interesting when you look at the Greek because the Greek could be translated either way. It could mean deliverance in the sense of going free or it could mean deliverance in the sense of salvation and going home to heaven. And I don't think we actually need to make a decision on which way it is. I believe, and as we go through the text, you'll see that Paul left this intentionally ambiguous because he's saying that either way it goes, whether I live or whether I die, I will be delivered from my sufferings right now. His whole point is this, that as a Christian, he knows that all the sufferings he is facing in this life are only temporary. One day he will be released from them. Either he will be set free from jail or he will go home to be with Jesus, which is incredibly good. Either way, he wins. And there is some great application here for each one of us at this time, isn't there? If you are a Christian this morning, please remember that no matter what suffering you are facing, it is only temporary. Maybe you're facing suffering from chemo because you're going through cancer and those chemo treatments are so hard on your body. 
that's only temporary. Either the chemo will heal your body and God will return you to life and give you a number of years left to serve him and please him, or the chemo won't work and you'll die. But that's good news because you'll go home to be with Jesus, which is a good thing. So our suffering's only temporary. Maybe for you, the trial that you're facing is financial and you think there's no way that I could ever pay off this debt that I have. I'll spend my life paying it off. Well, God may release you from that debt and that burden in this life, but if he doesn't, you don't have that debt and that burden when you're with Jesus in the next life. All of our suffering as Christians is temporary. As it's been said, for Christians, this life is as close as we will ever get to hell, but for unbelievers, this life is as close as they will ever get to heaven. Incidentally, in this passage, Paul is doing a, a lot of unique referencing to the Old Testament. And I'm not going to have time to go into so many of those things because they're sort of complex to do and they're difficult to explain. But I will go into one of them for you right here. When Paul talks about this will work out for my deliverance, the Greek that he uses is literally a quote from the Greek Old Testament that um, was common in Paul's day. It's a quote from Job. Job chapter 13, verse 16, where Job said the exact same thing. I know that the sufferings I'm going through will eventually work out for my deliverance. Job didn't know which deliverance it would be. Either the sufferings he was going through would go away in this life, or he would die and he would go home to heaven and the sufferings would go away for the next life. And that's how Job literally said in his book, he says, I am confident that in my flesh I will one day see God. And Paul is saying, you know, I can really relate to Job here. Job was a, a righteous man who sought to please God. And because he tried to please God, he went through all kinds of sufferings. Paul also was a righteous man who sought to live for Jesus Christ. And because he tried to live for Christ, he also went through all kinds of sufferings. At this point, he's been four to five years in jail. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Once he was shipwrecked, uh, a day and a night adrift on the sea. And that's just a sampling. He went through all kinds of suffering for Christ in this life. But both Job and Paul were confident that for God's people, suffering is only temporary. Either he releases us in this life from it, or we will be with him in the next life, which is far better. There are two things that Paul says will be key to affecting his deliverance in this life. And the first one is this. Paul knew that God would use the prayers of the Philippians to help him. He says, through your prayers. So how will God deliver Paul? through the prayers of God's people. And all of a sudden, this sort of pauses us to stop and think. Sometimes today, we don't think our prayers make a difference. We don't think our prayers matter that much. 
But Paul thought about that very differently. He asked the Philippians to pray for him because he knew that the Philippians' prayers would make a difference for him. God's chosen way, oftentimes, of delivering his people is through the prayers of his people. Let me say that again. God's chosen way of delivering his people is usually through the prayers of his people. It is very easy for us to underestimate the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. And that God affects the rescue and deliverance of us in times of trial when people pray for us. The scriptures tell us this. James chapter 5 verse 16 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks in our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says, you help us by praying for us. So Paul believed that the prayers of God's people would help bring about the rescue of, of God's people. And here's where some great application comes for us. One of the benefits of being part of this church family is we get to pray for one another. And our prayers for one another make a great difference in the lives of one another. That's why on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, we have a Zoom prayer meeting across both campuses. And we, it's, it's a quick connect prayer meeting. We try to limit it to around 30 minutes, but it's effective. Because as we pray for one another, God works in the lives of one another. That's also one of the reasons we have life groups. Life groups are not just to study the Bible together, but you're actually close to one another. You can be more transparent for one another and share your burdens and concerns with one another. And there we pray for one another. And what do we find out? That prayer makes a difference. Incidentally, prayer is not just effective for the people you are praying for, but prayer is incredibly effective for you as you do the praying. Do you want to fast track yourself in spiritual growth? Do you want to find yourself growing in Christ-likeness and godliness? One of the best ways to do that is become involved regularly praying with other people for other people. You will find yourself growing in godliness in an amazing way. Now Paul doesn't just say this to the Philippians. He says this all over the New Testament. In fact, he says, he asks the, the Romans to please pray for him in Romans chapter 15. The Ephesians to pray for him in Ephesians chapter 6. The Colossians to pray for him in Colossians chapter 4. The Thessalonians to pray for him in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Because Paul is confident that the prayers of God's people are the way that God usually works the deliverance of his people. Another way that Paul was confident his deliverance would take place. He says, Paul knew, the, Paul knew the Holy Spirit would provide supernatural strength for him. Literally, he says, I will be delivered through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident that the Holy Spirit would help him. Now, if anybody would think they wouldn't need help, certainly wouldn't it be Paul? 
Here is a guy who has seen Jesus three times. Super smart, super gifted. The ability to solve all kinds of problems. See all kinds of scriptural insights that you and, and I would, would totally miss. Yet when you look at Paul, he never boasts about his strengths. He's always constantly describing his weaknesses. In fact, there's times he says, we've been so weak, he says, I despaired of life itself. I couldn't even go on living. I was so beaten and broken and at the end of myself. But here's what Paul has found, he says. When I am at my weakest, that's when the spirit of Jesus Christ is at work in me and he is the strongest. Look at the scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul realized the weaker and more insufficient he became in the trials of life, the more powerful and active the Spirit of Christ was in him. So, he was confident that no matter how things turned out for his deliverance, it would be okay. Say his deliverance was that he would go home to heaven. His deliverance is that he would have to suffer and die and be executed in prison. At this times when he was at his absolute weakest, that's when the Holy Spirit would be in his life as he being executed, make, being in its strongest, helping him to die and be executed well. I've often thought about this. Jesus Christ, when he was being beaten, when he was dying on the cross, Isaiah says that like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. How did Jesus have the strength when he was relying completely on his humanity not to be filled with vulgarity and hatred at those vicious men who were just tearing him apart? You know what the answer is? Jesus Christ relied on the strength of the Holy Spirit in his time of weakness so he could please Christ in those difficult days or please his Father in those difficult days. Paul is looking at Jesus and saying just as Jesus relied on the power of the Spirit as his deliverance was through execution, I'm also going to have to rely on the power of the Spirit if my deliverance to be brought home to heaven is through execution. Now, there's a great application for us. Folks, you may not face execution in your life. Probably not. But we will face a lot of difficulties, trials, and trying times in our life, don't we? For some of us, right now is one of those seasons. We find ourselves at our point of absolute weakness, hopelessness, on our knees with our head in our bed, crying out to God. The good news is when we are weak, 
That, my friends, is when Jesus Christ and his spirit in us is at its strongest. That was what Paul hung on to, and Jesus hung on to, and what we hang on to. The next point Paul says is, Paul was confident Jesus would not let him down. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. What is eager expectation? Paul uses that phrase one other time in the scriptures. Actually, it's in Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 19, where he talks about creation waits, eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. It means to be intensely looking forward to something. And he says, this is also my hope. Hope, by the way, in our language, is something we hope may be true. Like, I hope it doesn't rain on Sunday. But in the biblical language, hope is something you are certain is true about the future. So Paul is confident and he's looking forward to the future with expectation that he will not be ashamed no matter what happens. In other words, he is confident that putting all of his eggs in the Jesus basket is absolutely the right thing to do. No matter what trials he faces in this life, he is sure that Jesus will rescue him from those trials in this life, and he will not be disappointed. That rescue may come in this life by taking him out of that trial, which is what Jesus will do, or that rescue may come in the face of death, where Jesus will rescue him there. Where all of us, folks, are going to face trials. Some of us are facing the trial of loneliness. Others of us are facing the trial of depression. Others of us are facing the trial of unemployment. Put all your hope for rescue in your trial, my friends, into Jesus. Paul says, I guarantee you, you will not be ashamed. Have your brothers and sisters in Christ praying for you? Oh, yes. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit when you're weak? Most definitely. But look to Jesus Christ for rescue. Jesus rescues us from the trials of life, and he rescues us in the trial of death. It reminds me of uh, Jude, Jude verse 5, where it says this, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, and then it continues... Who saved the ancient Israelites in their trials of life? It was Jesus. Jesus who took them out of the land of Egypt. Who saved the Israelites when they were, had the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them? It was Jesus who saved them. Who gave them bread in the wilderness when they were starving? It was Jesus. Who provided them water from a rock twice? It was Jesus. Jesus is the one who rescues God's people from their trials. Whether that trial is in this life and he rescues us from it, or that trial is facing death itself, he rescues us from it. Now Paul says this, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Either way, my deliverance comes. I just want to honor Jesus. Because my friends, he says, that is what matters. 
that brings us to the center really verse in this section uh, one of the most famous and most important verses here in scripture where Paul says living is about honoring Christ death is about gaining Christ for me to live is Christ and to die is gain isn't that a great summary of life life is about honoring Christ death is about gaining Christ no matter which way his deliverance comes living or dying it's all going to be about Jesus it's a win-win situation now Paul lets us into his thought life as he tries to wrestle back and forth as to which way he would rather it to go would he rather die in prison or would he rather be freed from prison here's what he says living means the joy of bearing fruit for Christ for I, if I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which shall I choose I cannot tell I'm hard-pressed between the two well the upside of being released for Paul is he gets to go back into this world and tell more people about Jesus to bear more fruit for Jesus if he dies well that's an upside too he gets to be with Jesus and here's another great point of application for us for Paul life was about bearing fruit for Jesus whatever work he did that was not the purpose of his life the purpose of his life was bearing fruit for Jesus in the work he did if you're in construction you're not really in construction you're in construction to be able to share Jesus with others you're in banking you're ultimately in banking to share Jesus with others you're a teacher you're a teacher to be able to share Jesus with others and Paul says the other option is that he dies and that's not a bad option either literally he says I'm hard pressed between the two I don't know which one is better should I live or should I die really it's a tough choice I've got win on both sides and he describes it this way death is actually better because it means being with Christ my desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better Paul says if it was up to him and no other circumstances were involved his preference would be to die because he would be able to be with Christ and he wouldn't be socially distanced from Christ by living in this life the reason he preferred death was the presence of Christ sometimes I hear people that describe heaven in a variety of ways the one time I saw a, a funeral service where a person was being buried and the casket had all kinds of golf memorabilia and, and symbols put on the casket because the person loved golfing and the pastor talked about this person being able to be at the great golf courses in heaven it's going to be wonderful him, for him but as I thought about that I'm like it's not the golf courses that make heaven so great it's Jesus that makes heaven so great that's what Paul was looking forward to and for you and I sometimes we think well heaven will be great because I finally get to be with my loved ones that have died and gone before me that's good but that's not what makes heaven so great 
What makes heaven so great is being with Jesus. That is better by far. Paul says that death is described like departing. Departing is actually a nautical term. It's what happens when a, a boat leaves port and as the boat goes out into the sea, the land slowly goes away and then after a while, the boat ends up on the other side of uh, the sea or the other side of the ocean and the land slowly reappears, a different land that the boat has transported that person to. And Paul describes that's what death is like. It's like we slowly close our eyes in this life and then we eventually open our eyes to see Jesus in the next life, which Paul says is actually far better. Personally, I'm not a real fan of that translation because in the Greek, it is much more vivid. It's using a triple modifier. In the Greek, it says, death is much more better. It is so much better for Christians in every single way. Death is actually better than life. Let me show you some things the scripture says. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That being in uh, death is actually full of pleasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's actually better to be dead as a Christian than to be alive. 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death for Christians is actually victory. Revelation chapter 7 verse 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That death for the Christian is the end of suffering and the end of pain and the beginning of joy. And amazingly this all comes because we're in the presence of Jesus. But heaven, my friends, gets continually gets better because of Jesus. One day, Jesus will return and he will resurrect our dead bodies and make them just like his resurrection body. So they will be filled with power and we will live forever and we'll join our bodies and souls back together as one. And imagine this, for all of eternity, you know who we most look like in the universe? Jesus. Nothing in the entire universe for all of eternity will look more like Jesus than you and me. And Jesus will not just resurrect our bodies, but he will resurrect this creation itself. He made this first creation. He will resurrect and transform that creation into the new creation, completely free of sin, and he'll combine heaven and earth together as one. So death truly is far better than life for you and me all because of Jesus. Now, Christians, I want you to understand, are the only people on the planet who can look death in the face without fear. Christians are the only beings in the entire universe 
who can look death in the face without fear. Because for us, all because of Jesus, death has become much more better than life. If you don't know Jesus today, I ask you, I beg of you, that you would repent of your sins, that you would call out to Jesus, make him the savior of your life and be born again, so that your death is not the worst moment, but it is the best moment you can ever have. This brings Paul to his final question. Which way should he go? Should he live or should he die? What's his actual preference? Because death is actually the better choice, the more delightful choice. He says, life is about helping others grow in Christ and finding their joy in Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, my preference would be that I would die and be with Christ. But it's not about me. My life isn't about me. My life is about serving you. And because God wants me to help you grow in your faith, I'm convinced that I will be released from prison to come and encourage and help you in your faith. Paul is introducing us here to a topic that we'll begin to explore in the next few weeks in the book of Philippians. And that is the topic and the idea that spiritual maturity is not what is best for you, but living for what is best for others. Putting the needs of others in front of your own. Putting the desires of others in front of your own. And Paul says here, the desire that I have is that you Philippians would have more joy in your faith and that you would make more progress in your faith. Because the more you learn about Jesus, the more you grow in Jesus, the more joy you will find in Jesus. And because that is what is really important. Not my desire to be with Christ, but to help you grow in Christ. I'm convinced that I will be released. So Paul, at this point, he was very uncertain about his future. He didn't know if he would live. He didn't know if he would die. But he knew that either way, he'd be filled with joy. Because if he lives, it's a chance to honor Christ, produce more spiritual fruit for Christ, to help the Philippians have more joy in Christ. But if he dies, it's actually greater gain. He gets to be with Christ. We began by saying that we were going to peek behind death's door and see what it was like for a Christian. And we were convinced that if we could just see what was behind death's door, wouldn't it change not just the way we die, but the way we live? We peeked behind death's door, and what we found there for you and me as Christians is Jesus Christ. And that changes the way we die. It makes us know that dying is actually better than living. And it also changes the way we live. Because life is not about what we want to do. 
It's helping others to have more joy in Jesus because life and death is all about Jesus. That's why Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I pray that you would put Jesus at the center of your living and your hope for your dying this week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could peer behind death's door and we could know that what awaits us when we close our eyes in this life is complete and utter joy of being with Jesus in the next life. I pray that as we go through life this week, we would not become distracted by the pleasures and joys this world has to offer, but we would consistently be seeking you, Jesus Christ, and encouraging others to follow Jesus Christ, which is the greater joy, the better joy, not just when we die and go to you, but when we live every day in this world, that the greatest joy that could ever be found is delighting and following in Jesus and understanding all the good things that you have for us in him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.